0: Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered.
1: We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From
0: systemic trauma to abuse of power to the unspoken rules of cover ups and corruption, Mandy, Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing bringing humanity humanity back back to to medicine. medicine.
1: Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time.
0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Heehee, And I'm Mandy. And today, oh my goodness, we are diving into all sorts of stories of coercion and manipulation, abuse, and exploitation, not only of patients, which we typically hear on this podcast, but of our guest herself. Today, we are having on our friend Jennifer, who is located in Wisconsin, and she currently serves as the assistant professor at Marquette University, and assistant professor at Marquette University. She also has practiced in L&D for 13 years and is a research nurse. Jennifer, you have seen so much. Welcome to the show, and where would you like to start?
2: Um, oh goodness, that's that's such an open question. I think it's you know it's interesting because um, one of the things that I noticed about Mandy's platform right away was also talking about the ways that L and D nurses end up being manipulated um, in this system where birth is really over-medicalized and pregnancy care is over-medicalized. And I think that that was a big experience for me and where a lot of my stories end up coming from. Um, And it's, I think when nurses really take their work with birth support seriously, the manipulation of the patients ends up also manipulating the nurse because they're trying to advocate for their patient, right? And so I think that's an issue that is really of extreme importance is this idea that we have to support both patients and nurses in order to make this a safe birthing space. Um, Because if we don't do both, they really just end up being this vicious cycle. Um, The other thing is that I find what I've seen a lot in my research since leaving LD is the ways that a lot of this starts in pregnancy care for patients. Um, my work is in looking at um, weight self-management behaviors of pregnant people and trying to set women-centric goals. And I've been really troubled, I think, by seeing the ways that some of these practice guidelines have made it so that providers have this very intense focus on weight management as like a number on a scale, as opposed to talking to people about healthy choices day to day that work for them in their pregnancy. And so I... I think a lot of the things that I saw in labor and delivery root back to the ways that we engage with women in the prenatal care space as well. And so talking about that, I think really helps us think about how women come to us in the birthing center, having already sort of had this tenuous relationship sometimes with their provider.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, using BMI, right? In pregnancy, yeah. I feel like, yeah. wait a minute,
2: wait yeah.
1: just a minute. <laughs> it, it's confusing and it's almost like um yeah that that the way that we're treated is feels intimately tied and is intimately tied and i love seeing your work on social media and i totally relate and i can see your passion for your nursing students shine through and the pain for that too watching them kind of grow up in this system learning what's, you know, what's, what are my values? Why are they not aligned with my advocacy for my patients? And I was just talking to a professor yesterday and wow, these, this uh, generation coming up is forcing some
2: change. Oh my gosh. Are you feeling that? Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. You say that in relation to this idea of nutrition and weight management in pregnancy, because Um, I have been so impressed by my students and it's been a bit of a mission of mine to try to think about how is it that I educate students that will come out ready to, to protect themselves so they can protect their patients right in, in this system. And there's a lot of talk on social media about how nursing school is where we start the like breakdown of nurses spirits so that they will walk in and be compliant in, Healthcare, as you know, acute care spaces of all kinds. Um, and so it's become a little bit of a mission of mine to sort of pull back and think about how do I deliver an education that will deliver whole nurses in, you know, whole human nurses into the field so they can be part of that change. Um, and this generation is ready for it, right? Mm-hmm. So part of what I've done in class is really centered their mental health. So when I have students we do a lot of things around affirmations. So like when they come to me and it inevitably the students who maybe did poorly on a first exam or who aren't grasping a concept, you can see them and they'll say it like, oh, I just, I don't know why I'm struggling. I'm really sorry. They'll apologize for this idea that they're, that they are not understanding something or that they did poorly on a test. And it's so upsetting to me because that means that we really have started that early. Was it in nursing school? Was it in high school? I don't know. But this sort of attainment culture has really been breaking people down. And so that idea of every single time they say that to me, I say things like, you're supposed to struggle. If you knew this stuff, you wouldn't need to come to nursing school, right? Like if you walked in here, understanding it all, what am I doing here? So just kind of reaffirming that we're supposed to be in a learning space and that sometimes we're going to learn from each other. And sometimes that's going to be really hard and you're not going to get an A on that test, but you're going to learn the material by the time you get past this. Right. And so I think there's some of those kinds of things, offering extensions, helping students understand that their accommodations for um, disabilities like attention deficit disorder or whatever makes learning accessible to them. And that's the goal is to, you know, to keep them whole human beings through their nursing education so they can enter the practice that way Um, and like I said, they're here for it. So last year, we've had this nutrition assignment in our OB class forever. Um, and it was handed to me when I took over the course and I kind of just used it. I changed it a little bit to make the culture part a little bit more um, representative of cultural humility and all these things. But one of the, what they do is they would track their own nutritional intake for 24 hours yeah. and they would analyze it for like calories and um, iron, protein, folic acid, and all these things. Mm-hmm. Then they would have to analyze the cost What would it cost a pregnant person to eat that way? And then do they need to add anything to meet the needs of a pregnancy? And we're going through it. And in class, I'm presenting to them the idea that this additive calorie thing is totally outdated science, blah, blah, blah. And they came to me afterwards and they said, well, not only is, you know, so it's still in the assignment, but you're telling us that we're not really talking to people about calories anymore. So why is it in the assignment? And I was like, good for you for coming, right. And asking me that, thank you. And then they said, you know, the other thing is to look at my own diet to, to like analyze it for calories was really problematic for me
0: um, because it made
2: me really go back to places of like calorie restriction and thinking about, you know, think about those things. And I think Sometimes we dig in our heels and we go, no, that's the assignment, that's the way it is. I was so grateful that they felt that they were allowed to come and tell me that so that I could rework the entire assignment for this year. and it's been complete. right? And so yeah. there. And so just affirming to them that their advocacy for themselves meant that future students wouldn't go through an assignment that was problematic for them. And so I think I think that professors have a huge role in educating nurses that are ready to walk into that space, and move into leadership positions and change this system so that we can get to that point where both nurses and patients get to have agency and have to express consent for all of these things. And so I I just hope we can keep getting that message out to instructors and professors. Yeah.
0: Okay. I love how you lead in the classroom. This is amazing. I um, I have a lot of close friends and family who are nurses, and I've for a long time said that when someone goes into nursing school, they're like who I remember and I love, but when they come out, yeah. they're different. They're just yeah. different, just a different person, and we always expect people to grow up and change in college, right, but the change that happens in nursing school is a very distinct change. It's It's incredibly unique to nursing school. Um, And the people that love you and are close to you in your life can see this change, right? I wonder what's different about this new generation that's making them so fearless and like fierce where they really don't give a fuck. I mean, they do not care. They don't, they are here for it. And that's the hill they will die on. And I'm here for that energy. I just wonder where they get it. I can see how so many of them walked away feeling triggered from that assignment that you gave and it made them a better nurse. They now understand what it's like to be in their patient's shoes. And I think for so many nurses, They've either lost that, it's been beaten out of them, or it's just not who they are. And they just can't fathom what their patient might be experiencing in that moment. And it really hinders their ability to give care. And so I am so fascinated by what is it about this new and upcoming generation that not only are they like here for no bullshit, but they understand, they really get what their patients are going through. What do you think?
2: You know, that is, of course, I'm, I'm not a social scientist that studies college students or generational changes, but what I do think, I have a little insight into some of this because I have in my home, I have a senior in high school and a junior in high school and an eighth grader. And what I've seen among them and their friends is, um, I think a lot of us, so I'm an Xennial, right? I'm like on that cusp between Gen X and millennial. And I think a lot of us were very like hand-wringy about what the internet was going to do and social media was going to do. And there certainly are portions of this group of Gen X or, you know, Gen Z young people, I'm sorry, Gen Z, that have been harmed by things in social media, right? And we even have evidence that's coming out this week from Facebook execs. Um, but I also think that there is a a group of students who have of kids who have found other people like them on the internet and have started to say, you know, I might have been in this town where I would never have met someone like me, but now I'm able to find someone like me. And so the, the example of advocacy, the example of standing up for things, the, you know, so even just like the Parkland, kids standing up and starting a movement. I think these kids feel like they have tools to make things happen in a way that other generations never have. Um, And they're just, they're not here for any of us telling them that what they want to accomplish can't be accomplished, right? And I think I was much more apologetic and deferent to authority when I was going through like high school and nursing school. And these kids recognize that we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) <laughs> like I thought the grownups knew what they were doing. And these kids realized that maybe we know some of it, but we don't, we don't know everything. And that's actually really powerful in a way that I think a lot of people in my generation find very threatening, um, but I'm super excited by it. And so I, I hope they meet more people who are excited by that as they move through, because if they do, they'll be able to accomplish, they're going to disrupt. All of these systems that we've been fighting against and chipping away at just a little bit, they're going to walk into these hospitals and be like, "I already you hear from, you know, the the unit leaders and stuff. Well, they want all their vacation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually they do. They want all of their vacation. They want their PTO. They would like to not come in on all of their days off. They yeah. value work and not even work-life balance, but they value having a healthy sense of self outside of their employment. They are not about to be constrained by all of this. And I think it will make them better nurses. But a lot of the existing nurses and nurse leaders are very threatened by it.
0: Yeah. I agree. Sure. Yeah, Mandy and I yeah. talk about this wave of new new energy coming all the time and we're here for it too. I mean, it scares me a little bit. I am scared of teenagers. They are very scary <laughs> these days. Um but I'm also here for it. I just never want to be the victim of their wrath because they are very scary. Um, But I do, I learn a lot. Um, And I think that you hit the nail on the head when you, when you said people, um, you know, kind of our age and older, they find it very threatening when younger people want to teach you something. Uh, But I've learned a great deal from people who are much younger than me.
1: Yeah. Jen, you've improved my work.
0: I mean, no way. Yeah. yeah,
1: No way. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Our listeners are like, well, if you're not listening to Jen, like you're not, you're just stuck in the mud. Uh, you are so full of knowledge and energy for exactly what I, I mean, we share goals, right? We want to see cool. nursing practice change, the culture change with childbirth um, healthcare. We want to see, um, we want to see the numbers of deaths, morbidity mortality go down because um, the, re- the reason why they're saying plateaued, we are doing something to harm people, right? We are harming people systematically, obviously. Um, and so I think our goals are totally aligned and I don't, you know, I TikTok know you, so like pretty much we're besties, but totally, I have learned from you. You talk about, you could talk candidly about your classroom materials and, and I'm forming this trauma-informed birth nurse program with so many other educators and there's so many moving parts. And, I have taken what I've learned from you kind of subliminally. Like I, I mean, I listen to you a lot, but I think that's what social media, that's what it's doing, and that's some of the benefits. Is I'm not ashamed to say, oh, I learned that on TikTok, oh, I learned that on Instagram, or I saw it in the story because very, very smart educated people um, are sharing so much of their knowledge in little pieces. And so we take little pieces and you know, I can be flexible on my due dates. I can be flexible on right video on off. I'm thinking kind of like trauma informed, like, what do you need? I ask, what do you need? I send emails and then I respond with a text. Like, of course I would do that, but I, I am not in the least bit irritated at all. And if someone's like, Oh, text, um, please don't send those long emails. I'm like, well, thank God, how would you would you like me to just send a voice message because that's what I'd rather do. And it's it's creative and it's flexible and it's accessible. And you're teaching that that um you know being uh, being in the classroom is not always the best place for people to learn. So having attendance be flexible and one on one. you know, case by case. Just the way that you're allowing that in your students, they are normalizing the feeling of meet me where I am and I will excel and I will show you what I can do. And that's your labor supporting your little baby. They're not babies, but I think of like, Oh, the labor nurse in the classroom. This is exactly what it is, is I see your beauty and your power and let's find it together so that you can make the world a better place and that's exactly what labor and birth is that's what we talk about in labor and birth i love it
2: i love it yeah so I miss- you Oh, I was going to say, I just, I miss the birthing space so much. And I do sometimes say to them, you're getting all of my nursing because right. I don't, I don't get to nurse patients anymore. <laughs> I do do the, the part-time research thing, but those patients, they're not patients. Those are research volunteers. Right. It's very limited scope. It's very limited relationship. Um, and so, yeah, I tell them all the time. I'm like, well, I'm a nurse. I'm supposed to be able to do these things. And so you get my nursing now, yeah. you know? And if you come in with your shoes off,
1: I might give a foot rub just that <laughs> If you need i I don't know system, about that one. <laughs> if you need counter pressure. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like grandparent of labor nurse, <laughs> you know, like the best parts, like you get juice boxes, but like you get to go home on the weekend, uh, uh-huh. no bedtime for you, but also you're kind of a pain in the ass. Oh, <laughs> the best part of labor nursing. Oh, yes. no, one's a pain in the ass. So mm-hmm. I, I, I could talk to you forever about this and I'm already like jotting down ideas. Oh my gosh, students apologizing, patients apologizing, fucking nurses apologizing. Ew, medical students apologizing, students apologizing. We could go there. I kind of want to hear what you brought to the table and you want to talk about. We could go on, but you have um, tremendous experience personally on the other side. And I think that absolutely shines through in the work that you do and the students that you teach, that it's not just one-sided and you're crossing the bridge for them and shortcutting their learning by having experienced so many sides of healthcare, professionally and personally. Um, I want to hear if you want to speak about that personal side.
2: Sure. Um, And when you say personal side, do you mean sort of my own like personal life stuff or like my practice in labor and delivery.
1: Your family?
2: Okay, yeah.
1: Right, your like care yeah. experiences as a advocate um yeah. family advocate.
2: Yeah, so what you're talking about is my so when I was a senior in high school, my mom, this is really where most of my personal life advocacy began. Um was really, really sick. And it was right as I was getting into nursing school, which is really interesting to me. um, I was applying, well, actually I hadn't, I wasn't admitted to nursing school. I was admitted initially to the health sciences college because I was going to be a physical therapist. And uh, my mom got really, really sick. And she went into the hospital and they basically blew her off, told her, um, nothing's wrong. You have, you just have back pain. And my mom was very um, overweight her whole life. And so I think they they saw her coming in and was like, well, you just have back pain because you're fat, sent her out the door. And later that night, she had to go back and she was septic and was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks. And at that time, I got admitted to the university while she was in the hospital. And it was the nurses who were at her bedside who would sit and talk with my sister and I, cause she was really sick. She was in the ICU and then she moved to the floor and we didn't know what was going on. And she was diagnosed at that point with diabetes and the back pain that she had had was actually, um, pyelonephritis, So a kidney infection. And by the time she was diagnosed with this diabetes and we realized what was going on, she had had all sorts of complications already. She already had a foot ulcer I, you know, she had retinopathies, all those kinds of things. And it was really scary because sometimes we would go in and she would be sort of unresponsive or very lethargic. And the nurses would sit with us and tell us what was going on. My sister and I, my sister was a sophomore and I was a senior. And um, it really was that moment where I was like, I want to do what these people are doing what these nurses are doing. And I switched my major and actually it ended up being why I could afford to go to college because I earned a nursing scholarship. I probably would not have actually been able to go to college that year if I hadn't earned that. So there was like a whole bunch of things that came together. So it's sort of the reason that I became a nurse was really because of seeing how those nurses helped us as a family understand what was going on with my mom and how kindly they treated her because the physicians at that hospital were not good to her at all. Um, and so I just really wanted to be them, like literally them. Um, and actually later on when I was a a labor and delivery nurse, I took care of this family and, um, I was labor support for this mom and she had had like a nine-year-old daughter And the daughter was there with her through her whole labor and it was so cool. And at the end of it, she's like, oh my gosh, you were so nice to my mom. I want to be a nurse. And I just thought, oh, I've made it right. This is the (laughs) career goal is to have had someone else be influenced the same way that I was influenced and want to do what I do, which was really cool. But over the years, my mom then had all sorts of health complications in and out of the hospital, just a ton. Um, And my experience was consistently disempowering every single time we would go into an emergency room to see how she her needs and wants were disregarded how she was treated how i was treated it was so eye opening to me and that's the other thing i think that makes me so passionate about teaching nursing students in a way that will not i i try to think of how can i turn out you know if i have 80 students in front of me how can at least Half of them go out into the world and do much better than what I encountered, right? How can they treat people better than than what we had? And, it, and so, yeah, I get a little emotional about it, but it just was like 20 years of trying to advocate for her in and out of the hospital, in primary care settings and specialty settings, trying to fight against people who wanted to get, disregard our expertise about my mother's health, right? Like, I get that you are an endocrinologist, or I get that you are, uh, you know, a Uh, you know, a kidney, you know, a renal person. I get that, you know, dialysis better than anybody else. I get that you're the kidney transplant person, Um, but you don't get what's going to happen when you try to send my mom home today and she's not strong enough to get to the commode. Like, how are we supposed to help her? And they would just over and over again, just kind of fight against us. And so that really is my goal is to try to help students figure out how it is that they recognize the expertise in patients and families. So if it's birthing people, recognizing that you might understand the labor process, but this person knows their body. And if they're telling you some things off, you need to meet them and hear that and figure it out. If they don't want you touching them, then you should not be touching them, right? Like, or if it's, if it's an emergency, how can you bridge that and build trust so that they will work? So this can be a synergistic thing. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's really the perspective that I bring. Most recently, my husband um, had a pulmonary embolus following what we think was COVID. And it was just so upsetting because they told him he was having an asthma attack. And I said to them, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's not wheezing. And they're like, oh, what are you, a nurse? And they just like kind of shamed me and were like, you're overthinking this. He's having asthma. Go home, right? And he almost died at our house. He collapsed in my house. I was leaving to go teach students and luckily I hadn't left yet, but he collapsed, he had a pulmonary embolus through all of his lungs. And they had literally just four days earlier told me to basically shut up. And I'm a person with a PhD in nursing and years of nursing experience and 20 years of advocating for my mom. And I was kind of rendered immobile by them telling me that I was overthinking it. So if I can be disempowered that way, We have to do better for patients and their families. Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay. So
0: I want to ask how do you do that for people who are listening, being like, All right, Jen, that's awesome. I keep (laughs) hearing this. That's what everyone on TikTok says. Like, how do we actually do that? How do you actually put into practice listening to your patients when? Everything in your textbook says that is not what they are going through. Everything that your admin that it has said has said, we really shouldn't give in to what they're saying. Like we really like that can't be the case. You, you just like figure it out. Right. How do you as the nurse? I mean, hello, doctors out there. You guys are in this too, but I guess nurses right now. How do you actually do that? What does that practice really look like in real time?
2: I think that is such an important question, partly because the structures that we hit every, you know, so even if an individual nurse comes out of school fired up, right? Like I'm well aware that I'm educating nurses that will walk into a system that are going to tell them that everything that I try to instill in them is wrong, right? No, we can't give in to people. They're manipulating us. There's all this stuff, right? So they're going to they're gonna hit that. So the first thing that I do try to do is tell them that they're going to hear that, right? So like, we're going to talk about this and you're going to hear in clinical practice, people talking about your patients that way. You're going to hear people um, talking about people who are addicted to opioids and they're going to be, you know, right. All of these things that we feel really free judging patients about they're going to encounter. So I try to help them anticipate that and start to think about, well, how will you advocate in those settings? Um, So that's one piece. The other thing is I think that ferocity that we see in this generation They're ready to disrupt systems, right? So I think they are primed for it. So if we can help support them in that, that's another thing. But I think that part of that is just knowing that it it takes, um, when you talk to sociologists, they talk about the fact that it takes a generation or two to make major social change. And the reason for that is because the people with the power who are making the decisions continue to make decisions that benefit them. And until those people retire, move out, die off, whatever, um, and people who then have been fighting against that move into it, if they're not indoctrinated into it, they will be the ones that make that change, right? But it takes, it takes a while. So the hope is that that ferocity that we've been talking about with this generation, makes them incapable of being indoctrinated by the people who are currently in power, you know, perpetuating some of these things around seeing patients as manipulative. There's a really good, and so people like mock nursing theory, right? They're like, I don't have time for theory. I don't, I don't have a use for theory. Um, But there's a really great group of sort of emancipatory theorists that are meeting now and really talking about how do we disrupt the academic side of things to start to hack into like, what is it we're teaching nursing students? How do we conceptualize our role as nurse and as advanced practice nurse um, when we move into that provider space and as nurse leaders? And they're looking at it from, you know, busting up these systemic racist practices, these systemic misogynistic practices. And um, this collective, so Peggy Chin is the director of it. There's actually a blog, the Nursology blog, Um, N-U-R-S-O-L-O-G-Y. And they talk a lot about this idea of even just changing the conceptualization of what is a nurse. And is a nurse a person who cares for you or cares with you, right? So this idea of it's not top down. And if you read our initial nursing theories, that's what they're talking about. Like Jean Watson's talking about this transpersonal exchange where both the nurse and the patient walk away changed by their encounter with one another, And we've been pushed into a medical model where we find ways to be a nurse when we're allowed to, as opposed to forcing nursing as the model and midwifery as the model that we start with as a baseline and bringing in medicine when there are complications. And I think that's the thing that we're going to see happen over the next 15 or 20 years. It's in motion, but it's been fighting against a system. And at some point that system that we're hitting against is gonna give way. And I do honestly think these Gen Z students are the ones that are going to force the change. They are not going to work for systems that oppress them. They're just going to leave and find another role. They're going to go they back do. to grad school. They're going to do right. Yep. And so if we want to have nurses to staff hospitals, these hospitals are going to have to change. It won't happen instantly, but I think they are they are unwilling to take this. Shit. They're going to totally force this change. Um, I'm I'm also scared, but also excited. Yeah. To see what's going to happen in the next couple of years. And I think COVID accelerated it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we're already seeing right now, the major healthcare systems in my city are like, we cannot staff these units. Yeah. How do we do this? They haven't quite figured out that they, they need to drastically change things, but it's going to happen soon. I would imagine, right. If they want to staff these places. So
1: Yeah, they haven't figured it out. Yeah, but I
2: think we have to overtly tell these students, you are going to hit resistance, and you have to figure out ways that you will persevere through that.
1: That's incredible. That's exactly how I teach advocacy. And I mean, also, also, I'm reading your story, right? You know, I'm reviewing your story about your family, and I'm... I'm seeing highlights and snippets of not being heard. Yeah. Like these are, these are traumatic events for you as the advocate and for you as the family member and for you as the kind of like, the kind of very much the way the nurse is traumatized by mistreatment at the bedside when they're the patient, you know, I'm air quoting patient advocate because we're not taught patient advocacy or we are and then it, there's so many barriers that we can't actually enact it so that's super traumatizing because we almost that's that's where nurses say we know too much that shouldn't be a thing you know that shouldn't be a thing if we're able to really um be heard and include be included within the care model and the care plan and the care team as we should be because you know the family and the patient are, what are part of the superpowers that bring in the information. You you can't give everyone the same thing and expect the same result when you're working with individual human beings. So the superpower that the family has is bringing that knowledge about the specifics about the patient. The superpower the nurse has is they're the, they're the glue. They're the go-between for this family's knowledge and the patient's knowledge and medicine. And they're the, the through way so they get to help incorporate that in theory yeah we are taught that theory yes. and then we go in and we're like that's fucking bullshit no one ever does that but we should that's the answer
2: i think the other answer is that nursing programs healthcare systems have got to get really real about who gets our advocacy who we are willing to fight for, um, and our own internal biases about who deserves advocacy and who is manipulating us. And I think this is really where that idea of how do we ever make progress on like black maternal mortality disparities and black infant disparities in morbidity and mortality. Part of it is that there are a lot of labor nurses, a lot of nurses, maybe in all sectors, that are really willing to advocate for people who look like them, who share their exact same behaviors and values. And when we're threatened by someone who's a little bit different than us, we pull back and we other them Mm -hmm. and then we don't want to advocate for them. And so I think, I think the entire system works that way, but also individual nurses need to really be given skills to check those biases and think about who do I naturally so for instance, I, you know, when I used to work, I'd hear people say things like, oh, I'm so glad I get this nice little married couple today who's like really takes care of their own health, right? You hear those things and they are terribly and they're terribly toxic because you can see the beauty in all these different family structures if you just look for it, right? And if you look for the strengths in each room that you walk into and find ways to meet those strengths and build on them, as opposed to looking for the strength you're interested in advocating for. Yeah. Um I, I just think that's something we have to get really real about and I am grateful to teach in a place where that's so we just made a new strategic plan last year for our whole program and the entire thing is centered around equity. Mm-hmm looking at ways to not only recruit more diverse students but be ready when they come to not be an oppressive white supremacist institution, right? And I think our healthcare institutions need to be really thinking about that as well. Who is it that nurses are naturally willing to advocate for? Who do physicians like to take care of, midwives like to take care of, and maybe they get better advocacy than others? Um, we we have a lot of work to do in that area because I think there are some patients that get a lot of advocacy and the, the road is just made very straight for them and other people are seen as manipulative or problematic. And then they just don't get the kind of care that they need. They may even need more advocacy, right. And often do need more advocacy. And when we're withholding that, um, we are part of the doing harm that you're talking about. And I think there's, or I know that there are certain patient populations that are the recipients of more of the harm than others.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it feels safe when I hear you say, here's what you might hear or here's what you're going to hear on the unit because, oh my God, that's information that you have. That's Intel. That's so useful for them. Cause when they hear it, they're not going to be, you know, um, shocked like like when you heard shut up sit down you're just a nurse you're overthinking i know your type and you were like i oh, can't even move forward right now like are you d- this is there's so much dissonance here like i don't i'm not talked to you like that but like what right nurse nursing students nurses coming in nurses going through this um intentional education which is Absolutely what it needs to be. That's it's what I teach nurses. Like you have information on who's coming in and what time they're gonna go to bed and when they like to break water. You tell your patient that. Right. Because you know it. And if someone wants to be all like, this is my style and I do everything the same. Everyone should have that information because that leads into informed decision making. Part of the information I have should be, you know, should be yours. All the information I have should be yours, not in an overwhelming way, and it's totally a dance but I can't be stuck with that information because it's heavy and I'll have a drinking problem. Yes, I cannot make those decisions for you. I can't. I pay for therapy, but like, I come on.
2: Yes. So it's fascinating that you say that because that makes me think of the most, just the most proud I think I was ever of my practice was the way that labor nurses will shield their patients from the bad practice of certain providers. By informing them of those things or finding ways to really like work around it. So for instance, we had a provider who was notorious for being like expecting you to make the labor fit their schedule. And um, we all knew this and so we would find all sorts of ways to just sort of either make things happen in a way that didn't make the patient's birth plan get altered, but that could still happen in their way, or we could say he's gonna come in here and he's gonna say we need to do this thing and it's and it's not really urgent. And so you we're gonna like, we're gonna look, 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 look at you <laughs> and you're gonna ask these questions, right? And so these really subversive ways um that we would protect patients and i think when nursing students say nursing school didn't prepare them for the real world that's the kind of intel that's, that they were lacking and so it. we when i taught clinical i did talk about that kind of stuff right and so in class i just yesterday i told the story um of how we need to trust the intuition of people who come in with vague complaints. So I had this patient who came in um, with this vague upper abdominal pain, right? She didn't know what was wrong, but she was so uncomfortable. Um, And we would have this issue where patients would take ambulances into the hospital for what people would consider not an emergency, right? And that would just set the residents off. They're like, why do they do this? They could get a ride. Like, why can't they figure it out? This wasn't an emergency, but it is an emergency to that patient. When they are pregnant, and something is off and they don't know what's going on. It feels like an emergency. And so she came in and the resident came in and immediately was like, she took an ambulance and this is nothing. She just has up her abdominal pain. She's not contracting, send her home. And I could just see that something was wrong. And I called her back and I'm like, there's something off, right? Like there just is something off. And I just requested, I'm like, I just need you to run a preeclampsia panel. I just, I know you don't think that this is Right. I I know that you think that she's faking it, but I you know, she's never been in here before. She's not like a like a person who comes in all the time. Like this is a person who made it to 32 weeks, has never come into the hospital and looks uncomfortable and says something's wrong. And sure enough, she ended up in the ICU later that night, right? Because her liver Results were so off. So, we did a C section. She ended up upstairs in the ICU because she was so sick and she was going to get sent home. Right. And so, I think there's this thing about telling students that you need to trust your gut. When that patient looks like their intuition is kicked in, it doesn't matter if it looks like they're being manipulative or they're being problematic. You have to fight for that person. Because what's the worst that happens? We did the panel and nothing was wrong. And then we sent her home. Mm you know, it's not coming out of our pockets to pay for it. Let's take people seriously. And so I think there's just a lot of those kinds of real world things that nursing students need to hear from us so that you're right. They walk in and they're like, oh, I am prepared for the real world. I may not always know what to do, but this isn't like shocking to me that this is happening.
1: Yeah. Bias, inclusivity, equity training specifically. Like the discussion instead of this cultural competence shit that we get from nursing school all the way through hospital, it makes me feel like a pawn in the struggle, in the problem. Like I've been the problem, I continue to be the problem and you continue to tell me things are fine because of this and this and this. And then no one's talking about it and now I don't know who to go to. You know, I'm not going to ask my patients, but then who, who's the person that needs to yeah start exactly in school in the way that folks are learning, which is direct, say what you mean, let's talk about it and creatively because the way we're doing it is not working.
2: Not at all. No. No, and I think, you know, it's really interesting to me is the idea of cultural competence. And so I teach at a Catholic institution, right? So a lot of these students are familiar with Catholic stuff. And so we'll often talk about it. I'm always like, when you get into the hospital, you're going to have to do this cultural competency training. And it's like the litany of stereotypes, right? This culture acts this way, this, you know, whatever, as opposed to the idea of looking at cultural factors in people's lives. And I think we could undo all of that if we would just teach people to recognize the patient as the expert. And we are a partner to them that can bring a particular expertise, but they are an expert also, as opposed to seeing this top-down thing, all of it would go away, right? Because then we would assess each person's individual cultural factors that Mm -hmm. make up their worldview, as opposed to this idea of walking in and making automatic assumptions and then telling people how it's going to be. We really should be partnering with people.
1: That feels so good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have just solved all the world's problems here today. The, now if we could just make it actually happen, that would be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it is a so logo. So well, I really, I really value your work. Thank you for giving your energy to students. You smile when you talk about it and you have so much energy and positivity and hope. And I know. I, when I see you talking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I want to get in there. This is so exciting. Is the universe giving me a sign? I talked to a UPenn faculty member yesterday and they were like, we need trauma-informed care. Our students are demanding it. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is, it's happening. We're changing. It's, it's, it's going and, and we're, we're shifting and we're in the schools and we're, you know, we want this to be in the hospitals. And then I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) I taught, I like spoke at a nursing school like six months ago. And I was like, whew, that reminded me, I need to figure out some birth control and uh, not come back here for a while. <laughs> no, it was fine. It was fine. It was just, it's different. Nursing students, college students, college age is different than teaching you know, professionals in the healthcare system, but, but really not. I have a ton of students coming to me and they're like, I know I need this early. I know I need this now. I know I'm not going to get it anywhere else. I'm like, oh my God, so much respect. That is amazing that you're not just like, I totally just thought all of my professors were so incredibly intelligent that they were going to give me everything I needed. And without, for all that money, they should. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and they don't. Yeah. it's so upsetting it's so upsetting but these students they it's a different crowd and it is I hope that they give you as much energy as you are giving them because you are sharing uh, like they don't even know I know they don't even know do they know that you're on social media
2: so I have found a couple of my grad students or who have found me um I don't think but I've shared a couple TikToks in educate like I post them in the class. Okay. So I'm certain at some point they'll figure out that I am. I keep waiting, but I have It's fine. It. I mean,
1: I like that under the radar feel of like, yes, this is a yes. little secret. <laughs> I'm pregnant and nobody knows. I've got a TikTok yeah. handle and you're not invited. But it's like parenting. Like they'll realize what they had that they didn't realize and took for granted later When they see that they're the only ones or they're leading, they're already leaders on their unit or leaders in their team, you know, propelling this, these equity discussions and propelling these, um, these autonomy discussions and these advocacy discussions because, um, because they had you in their life and they were able to do that. And it was normal and acceptable and encouraged and it's beautiful. It's so good. Um, and thank you for the nurseology. We love to give resources at the end of the show notes. So we'll have those resources in there and we won't share your handles unless you want us to.
2: Uh, you, that would be fine. <laughs> I don't, my personal, uh, my Instagram and Facebook are personal, but my Twitter and um, okay. TikTok are both professional. So oh,
1: sweet. I think it's great when we can find resources wherever they are. doesn't. Yeah, that's good out here on the internet streets.
2: Well, and I have, you know, I've been energized by a lot of your content as well. And I think that's the other thing is it starts to be kind of synergistic. And so you think of saying things to your class that maybe just wouldn't have been in front of mind, right? And so there's a lot of things. Um, But I have to say that I knew about peanut balls. But like, I did not know how much there was to right. know about peanut balls, because we were just really starting to use them when I left the bedside. And I have become so much more educated because of being on TikTok, because of your content, which sent me looking down all these rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing is I get to stay current mm-hmm. on the practice side by engaging on social media, too, which is, I think, a, a net benefit for students, because that's the other piece of like, they're not, you know, you when your professors aren't up to date on stuff it has to do with the published practice guidelines but it also has to do with those kinds of mm-hmm. management decisions the and culture, strategies yeah. and approaches that nurses are using in real time right now um that it's hard to keep up with when you have an academic and research career so i find social media to be really helpful in that regard as well just to think about what are labor and delivery nurses or birth support people doing mm-hmm. right now um that's even more advanced than when I left a couple of years ago. So peanut so balls and getting that. the
1: heck out of the hospital.
2: <sighs> yeah. Staying home <laughs> as long as possible, right? <laughs> yes. Staying, staying home. home before you show up at the hospital. So what possible. birth centers are in your
1: area? Have you done the research? <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. <Exactly. laughs> low risk.
1: We don't have to go there, but
2: yeah, it's all I was really lucky when I practiced because our, um, our hospital was where the biggest midwifery practice was there. Right. And so I was shaped from a very baby stage of my nursing career by these really badass midwives. And so they, and watching them push back against the medical model, watching mm-hmm. them fight for even keeping their high risk patients under their purview for the birthing part, but, you know, bringing in, so if they were preeclamptic, they would still attend their births, but the mm-hmm. medicine people would just manage that, you know, that medicine side. Um, really just seeing that model of birth support for these really vulnerable women it was often immigrant women or women who were within one generation of being immigrants um that shaped me in a really important way too right so it was just this great confluence of factors and i know that nurses in the same city who worked at the more medicalized units didn't get that same kind of preparation in valuing the humanity and the expertise of birthing people you know so i feel very lucky to have found that job right like I was just I was an intern on the postpartum floor and I was like I think I want to do labor and delivery and they were like sure and I just ended up in this really great environment which also is you know sort of like this origin story I guess yeah for sure I hope your students hear that
1: where you're like um I mean I just follow the path and I was gonna go into PT and then and now look at me right you gotta follow that feeling, and then you're like, trust your instincts. They're like, I don't know what that means. Trust your gut. I don't have a very loud one. Well, then you start, and then if it feels wrong, you reroute. And oh my gosh, that is an amazing job. The stars aligned for that for that yeah. path to get you here for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: That's yeah, you're cool. perfect for that position, Jen. I cannot imagine someone better out there teaching our up-and-coming nurses. Actually, I hope that the nurses in my future who care for me in any of my medical settings in the future have learned from people like you and Mandy who are challenging these norms and making sure that, you know, our up-and-coming nurses understand their worth and they know how to advocate for patients and themselves and actual evidence-based practice, right? I'm, Very grateful for both of you. I'm super grateful for your time as well. Mandy is too, and our listeners as well. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your stories, your personal experience, your knowledge. This was really an invaluable conversation for all parties, I think.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. And I have, um, I just had an amazing time. I love talking about this stuff. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. I can foresee some future episodes with you coming back to visit again. All right, listeners, you guys, if you are someone who has a story that wants to share on the podcast, you can connect with us at pulsecheck.podcast on Instagram. Let us know that you have a share a story that you'd like to share and we can get you our application. Until then, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According
1: to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out?
2: If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.